Mom and Dad never told Tony and me that they were separating, so I was confused when Mom started a sort of slow-motion move to London in 1960. And I don't really know whether it was before or after Mom had decided to leave, whether it was a mutual course of action or simply Dad's decision, but Betty O'Kelly was asked to come down west from County Kildare to be the estate manager at St. Clarence. Betts accepted the offer and moved into the Bhutan room up at the big house. I was still living, for the most part, at the little house, and Betts encouraged me to move into the lavender room at the big house. With Mum's gradual absence, the place grew more conventional in aspect. Now there were Betts' invitations to hunt balls balanced on the mantelpiece in the study, Betts's photo albums full of fox-hunting pictures and sailing in Galway Bay. There's a line in James Joyce's The Dead that says, We used to go out walking in the rain the way they do in the country, and that's what I'd do with Betty. We'd go out on hare hunts with Mindy, Seamus, and the little shih tzu, Shushu, that Dad gave to her. In her mid-thirties, Betty was an enthusiast. She loved to laugh, was full of gas. Betts told a story of going to visit an old lady who'd lost her son and was living alone in a tenement in London during the war. Betts had sat down to tea and the woman had served spam with worms in it. When I asked her what she'd done, Betts said, I ate it. It was a luxury she was sharing with me. I had no choice. This was Betty's code of behavior. She was a kind person and very good to me. She took me to church with her on Sundays and allowed me to follow her around and listen to her stories of being a debutante and of the handsome young men who'd courted her at Hunt Balls back in County Kildare. Betts taught us a great card game called Racing Demons. It was basically built along the lines of solitaire, but with never any fewer than four screaming, cheating players smacking down cars and calling one another abusive names against the familiar background roll of the dice in leather cups next door in the drawing room, where Dad and Tony were immersed in backgammon. The first time I ever played gin rummy with Dad, I beat him, which he couldn't get over, and then I beat him again. When we went to the Galway races, I picked out a horse I liked and placed a bet. The horse is sweating heavily, honey. It looks tired, said Dad before the race. The horse came in nine lengths in front of the rest of the field. I could tell that Dad was proud, fascinated, but a bit baffled by me. He knew that I had an ability to channel my instincts, but on the other hand, I was emotional and stubborn and not interested in following his advice. Holidays in Ireland felt strange and empty after my mother left. In her absence, I looked to Betts for warmth and distraction. In the late summer, the forest rabbits developed myxomatosis and flopped blindly across the driveway under the headlights of our white opal station wagon. It was almost comical until Betty told me they were dying of a disease that made them sightless. Bulldozers had uprooted the old-growth apple trees to make room for a tennis court. At the little house, my bedroom had undergone a radical change. The candy-striped four-poster beds had been replaced and many of my toys had simply disappeared. The underlay of Mum's original colors and fabrics remained, but it felt as if she were being exercised from St. Clarence. Betts was the first person to ever talk to me about our resident ghost, but because she was prone to tell tall tales of banshees and hauntings in Irish houses in general, 
I took the narrative with a pinch of salt. As the story went, some two hundred years before, a man by the name of Daly was accused of shooting the bailiff at St. Clarence. For an Irishman to shoot a functionary was punishable by death. Daly insisted he was innocent, but the judge, a member of the Burke family, who owned St. Clarence, pronounced him guilty. Daly was sentenced to hang. The gallows were erected a mile away from St. Clarence on a hill. The Burke family watched the execution from two windows of an upstairs bedroom on the south side of the house. As the judge rode down from the gallows, he met an old crone by the side of the road. She pronounced a widow's curse on him.